This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I'm going to conclude this Easter Sunday looking at a topic that uh, is, I think, especially important on a day like today. We've been in a series, Gripping God, to let go of certain things, anger, fear, all right, gripping God uh, to overcome some things. And tonight, we want to look at the subject of gripping God to overcome grief. Gripping God to overcome grief. This past Thursday night, Renee and I uh, sat in the home of some dear friends who live in southern Wisconsin. We're in our church. Uh, in the church that, that I was privileged to pastor there uh, for several years. And we recounted the events that really shook their family, and uh, they are like family to us. It shook all of us this past Christmas. You'll remember I asked you for prayer for a family uh, where the son-in-law was killed in an accident uh, up in northern Pennsylvania. They were on one of the highways up there heading towards Wisconsin. Uh, they had been on the road about an hour and were going back to the Midwest for Christmas. Uh, this pastor's phone, you, you learn that at certain times of the day when your phone rings, you'd rather not answer. And the timing of that call, I looked down and saw who it was, and after a brief conversation, I sat on the edge of the bed, and I was overcome with grief. About six years ago, uh, I, I had the privilege of officiating a wedding where Matthew Burns, Emily Seeger, uh, were united in marriage. God was using them mightily in a church in northern Pennsylvania. Uh, frankly, because of their lives and their godly testimony, the young married couples in that church were on fire for God. But at Christmas time, they loaded up their vehicle, got on I 80, and were headed west. They'd been on the road about an hour on slippery roads, it had been snowing. They came around a bend in that highway, and it was dark, and they saw a large object in the highway, on the highway in front of them, what turned out to be a jackknife semi-trailer that had all of its lights off. Unfortunately, right next to them, there was a semi, and they were heading right for this jackknife trailer. Well, the semi didn't have time to stop, and in his attempts to get around that other vehicle, forced the Burns minivan right into that tractor trailer. What happened next was really the hand of God protecting the rest of the family, but the van went sideways, and literally the trailer on the van cut that van in half. When the wife looked over to her husband, he was gone. The steering wheel was in her lap. Three 
little children in the back, one, three, and five, screaming because they didn't know what was going on. The van obviously was a complete wreck, and Emily, uh, by God's grace, the Lord had prepared enough of an area in the windshield ahead of her for her to be able to climb out, and at that very moment, a truck uh, or a ve- another vehicle stopped with a group of men in the vehicle who were headed to work early that morning. And it was that group of men sent by the good hand of God that helped get all the family out. But Matt was killed instantly. I'll never forget that morning and the grief that we were experiencing. And I could not imagine what that young wife was experiencing, what her parents were experiencing. And then just a couple days later, uh, it was Christmas Eve, and uh, I was at that funeral up there in Pennsylvania with the family, and then drove back Christmas Eve, Eve to be with my family to begin to celebrate Christmas. really hard. But what I just shared is not uncommon on this earth, is it? It happens to those who don't know God, and frankly, I don't know how they manage. But it happens to the children of God. And in those moments, we have help from the Word of God and the Spirit of God to sustain us. And I want to share that help with you tonight. I hope that it will encourage you. Job 5, 6-9 tell us, Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, Job says, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Now that's our God. Job, you'll remember, struggled to take his own advice. But even after all that he experienced, and you'll remember that it started with great grief. Most of us, physical things that we face, we kind of grit through that. But I can't imagine starting out as Job did. The possessions didn't matter either, but losing all of his children at once. Imagine the grief in that man's life. And yet, the book of Job is really a treatise about what God graciously does, even though Satan is up to his no good, and people who come and try to comfort are no good. (laughs) Yet God is faithful to restore. And in the end, Job was even a better better equipped servant of the Lord than he had ever been because of the good hand of God on him. So gripping God to overcome grief. Jim Berg says this, every crisis 
has within it the possibility of great danger, but also brings with it the opportunity for positive change. Hopefully you're taking notes tonight. You'll see that first blank there. But the opportunity for positive change. Our goal in a crisis must be to escape the danger of the situation and seize the opportunities. Now, many times in a crisis, we just want to escape, period. I just want this to be over with. I want it to go away. But the goal, and he's right here in what he says, the goal in the crisis must be to escape the danger of the situation. And the danger is just not a physical threat. The danger is what I could allow it to do to my heart that is a spiritual threat if my focus isn't right. And I need to be then looking to seize the opportunities that God has uh, in a situation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, and There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Right? It's common. But, and this is where the perspective starts to come in, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted, tested above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. All right, the word temptation here refers to tests. Tests which God permits to expose what is good or bad in our heart. That's what the testing reveals. Remember, uh, a few weeks ago, I used the illustration of the tea bag. You never know what's in the tea bag until you stick it in the hot water. And when it's in the hot water, now you know what's in the tea bag. That's the way we are. Okay. And so God permits the test to expose what is good or bad in our heart to reveal who we are, while also revealing what we need to learn or be reminded of concerning our God. And again, remember what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, but God is what? He's faithful. Would you really understand the faithfulness of God if everything in your life went just like you wanted it to? Well, we ought to give God thanks in those times, right? Every good and perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights. But we, we really get to know his faithfulness when things seem to be coming apart around us, when we feel tragedy and grief. And yet through that, God shows his great faithfulness. So let's look at how to grip God and overcome grief. First, we need to begin with an understanding of what grief is. Loss brings pain, and pain brings grief. Again, loss brings pain, pain brings grief. Simple illustration of that. How did the followers of Christ handle the loss of their Savior or their perceived loss? He's crucified. He's in a grave. How were they doing? Not so good. Why were they grieving? 
loss. The text we read this morning, those two on the road to Emmaus, they're grieving. We thought this, and it was taken away from us. <laughs> Except that they're having this conversation, and the one that they thought was taken away joins them right there on the road. Isn't that great? Loss brings pain, pain brings grief. Now let's define grief. Grief is a feeling of deep mental anguish caused by loss. It can be the loss of a loved one. Probably the hardest thing, right? And I, so many of you in here, just over the past year, what you've experienced, or in recent years, all right? Loss of a loved one, loss of possessions, loss of a career, or some other life-changing loss. Does loss change our lives? <laughs> it can dramatically. All right? And what is often the response? It's grief. Grief can also be sorrow for something that someone has done or failed to do. I think about this definition and I think back to the day that David lost Absalom. You remember, he wails, he cries out in grief, my son, my son. Was it just because Absalom was dead? No, I think years and years of neglecting to minister to Absalom came pouring out in grief. And that's why he was so devastated. Would to God that I had died and not you. I think that's a good definition of grief. Now here's the perspective about grief. Because we live in a fallen world, life inevitably includes sorrow. When sin entered the human race, it brought death, physical death, spiritual death, with all the accompanying ramifications. This earth is a mess because of sin. Your next blank there, death or loss of anything we value causes grief. However, God has a higher purpose for his people, and he is faithful to use our most painful times to mature us, to draw us into closer dependence on him. And I would just remind you again, remember the breaking pro uh, process. We've spent several weeks looking at that, right? Deuteronomy 6.23, he brought us out that he might bring us in to give us the land, the abundance that he promised to our fathers. But what's, what's in that? Well, there's, there's a wilderness. And oh, by the way, how were the children of Israel, those sons of those who had doubted God, how were they ready to enter the promised land? Well, they wandered and wandered and they watched their parents and their grandparents die. I would submit to you tonight, they were ready for Canaan because of the grief and what they learned about their God in the wilderness. You ever thought about that? God was not just making sure everybody died off. No, he was actually preparing those that would go into Canaan by them watching everyone die off who had refused to believe God. And yet at the same time, they weren't just going in circles and digging graves. 
If you study what happened after they leave Kedesh Barnea, there's just one powerful act of God after another. In spite of the continued unbelief, God continues to work and he's growing that younger generation, preparing them to enter in, even though their parents were forbidden to do so. I also love the example in Scripture of Naomi. At the time of the judges, we get this wonderful love story. It's true. The book of Ruth. Think about Naomi's grief versus God's faithfulness. Naomi is moved by her husband over to Moab, and things don't go well. He dies. The sons die. Imagine the grief, the devastation of that. It makes Ruth or it makes Naomi bitter. Ruth 121, I went out, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? That's the wrong perspective when it comes to grief. God was bringing her out that he might bring her in. Same testimony. And give her abundance. And as God continues to work in Naomi's life through Ruth, through Boaz, we have these testimonies in the book of Ruth. Ruth 2, verse 20, Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, this is after Ruth ends up in the field of Boaz to be able to glean there, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, Ruth, the man is near of kin unto us one of our faithful kinsmen. And I would encourage you just to write next to that verse in your handout, God is faithful. <laughs> Look at the next verse, Ruth 4 and verse 14. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, this is after Ruth and Boaz have their first child, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman that his name may be famous in Israel. And again, you can write next to that verse, God is faithful. But there's even a bigger picture. If you'll notice on your handout, consider Naomi's comfort became Israel's consolation. Because Ruth... And Boaz have Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. David has a son. His name is Jesus, a few generations later. Israel's consolation, that's how the, the uh, prophets referred to the coming Messiah. And then Israel's consolation became Christ. Our comforter. Let me prove that. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a great text. Second Corinthians 1 verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. 
Our comfort is full through Christ. That's what Paul is saying to them. Our comforter now lives in us, and it goes all the way back to the comfort that God provided to Naomi through her grandson. God is faithful. Isn't God amazing? That's how he works. That's how he works in your grief. Now, understanding the pain of loss, what do we do with that initial pain, that shock? I mean, it can make your knees buckle, your head spin. How do we understand that? Well, we need to learn and know that pain is not sinful or a lack of faith. Well, I'm not spiritual if I struggle with grief. Wrong thinking. No, God made us to grieve, all right? Pain is not sinful or a lack of faith. There is a time to weep, laugh, and mourn, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us. There's a time for that. Jesus wept beside the grave of Lazarus, didn't he? Was that weakness? Was that a lack of faith? Was that sin? No. That was human. God gave us tears to shed in our grief as an expression of our inner man. Someone has said, when the heart overflows, the eyes leak. That can be positive, that can be negative. I would submit to you that holding in grief, it's not what God intended. And it certainly isn't healthy. Those of us who work in law enforcement, Brother Jerry, <laughs> holding in grief, holding in those emotions, it doesn't make somebody better, it makes them harder. And over time, it can make them bitter and cynical where they just create in their lives this wall where after a while they just expect things to bounce off. God, that was never God's intent. And so it's okay to experience the pain of loss, grief, to cry. However, the Lord would not have us sorrow, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, even as others which have no hope. We don't sorrow because we're without hope. There's no answer to this. There's, there can be no good come of this. That's, that's despair. That's without hope. That is not the perspective of a Christian ever. So understand the pain of loss. It is very natural. It's what God intended after the fall. It's how he allows us to respond to the effects of the fall, but we never approach grief from the standpoint that this is hopeless. And so it's okay to have that good cry. In fact, that's an expression that sometimes, you know, someone is mourning the loss of a loved one. Have they had the good cry? Have they had that yet? 
Sometimes people wait. They, they just, that, that's something that they struggle with. And I would submit to you, that's part of the healing process. It needs to happen. Now tonight, we're not going to look at the stages of grief. We talk about this in, as chaplains, and, and it is uh, something that we learn so that as we watch people's response, especially when we deliver a death notification and so on, uh, it helps you to kind of understand where they are at. But I'm talking to a group of believers tonight. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. And those stages are going to happen, but they, the effects can be lessened if you choose to do something different with the thoughts and the emotions that are going to sweep over you. The world doesn't know what to do with them. But we know from Scripture that we can... We can arrest those thoughts. We can arrest those feelings by allowing the Word of God to sweep in and give perspective and peace to what is taking over, trying to take over our hearts. And so that's why we want to move into this next section. Grief tests joy, and joy overcomes grief. Now let's look at what, what we're, we're talking about here and what we're not talking about here. Scripture teaches that it is possible to have great joy in the midst of grief. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3 and 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, literally a living confidence, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now let's stop right there. I mentioned this morning that we were going to look at the matter of grief in light of the resurrection. Take a moment and just think back to the events around our Lord's resurrection. You've got disciples who are hiding. You've got people who are grieving. They had staked everything on the life of Jesus Christ and some of them watched him die. He's dead. He's in a grave. And so they're going on as if now we just need to move on with life. But something starts to happen. Women who are on their way to the tomb see a stone rolled away. They talk to angels. Mary sees a man who looks like a gardener, and she goes and she wants, she wants to get advice from him. Uh, where, where is the one who was buried here? If they've taken his body, will you just tell me all this grief? And what does the Lord say to her? All it took was her name, Mary. <laughs> and the son comes back out. And joy sweeps into the heart. Why? Because of the reality he's risen. And the Lord meets the men on the road to Emmaus. And, and uh, of course the women go back and they tell the disciples. And Peter and John run to the tomb. It is empty. And then Jesus starts appearing. The reality, he is risen. 
You need to take that same reality and apply it to every grief situation that you experience. You're going to experience it. But I hope after today, one of the first things that will come to your mind is, I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today, and, and He lives in my heart. So no matter what grief I'm facing, whatever loss I have just experienced, the risen, powerful, loving Lord, if He can overcome death, He can overcome anything. And He lives in me. The living confidence, the living hope that we have in Him. Let's read on. Wherein we ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if ye be... Uh, Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, testings. The idea there, you're distressed by various trials. See, there's the grief. The, the heaviness is real. And yet, what comes alongside that? We greatly rejoice. Now, here's a question, and it's a sincere question. I'm not trying to be silly. Think about the greatest loss in your life. Do you have any less reason to rejoice in your Lord? In other words, the loss that you have experienced, does it change anything of what he has in store for you? We all realize everything here is temporary, right? But your being in Christ, who is all-sufficient, does your loss really change anything as far as your relationship with the Lord and your eternity, yes or no? You're hesitating to answer that. The answer is clearly, doesn't change anything. Now, this is a good time to insert this, unless you aren't saved. Because what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? So if you don't have Christ, you don't have what you need, and you're going to especially experience the sheer terror of that when it comes to grief. You need to come to Christ. But in Christ, you can have hope and joy even when the tears are falling. You have confidence because of him. Now, this joy is not, notice your next bullet here, it's not giddy silliness or a positive outlook. I've watched people grieve and they start pretending like everything's okay. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? It's not just a positive outlook. It is the direct result of increased fellowship and intimacy with God and is produced as fruit from the Holy Spirit as we depend on Him. So the risen Lord lives in our hearts, and as I depend on Him, He produces the fruit of love, joy, and what? Peace. I get to experience that peace, though there's sorrow and, and there can be grief, but I can, I can have that and still have peace 
and joy. But here's how you can prepare for grief. Right now, you need to be, I need to be walking in close fellowship with Christ. Every day we need to be drawing closer to Him in intimacy in our relationship together. That is going to prepare you for when grief comes. Don't, don't take time to do it now, but I would encourage you just go back and look at Mary and Martha and watch their responses to Jesus when He delays to come when He learns that Lazarus is dying. What do we know about Mary? When Jesus would come to visit, Mary would do what? She'd sit at his feet. She'd learn. When Jesus would come to visit, what would Martha do? She was busy. Was she serving the Lord? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, but Mary had chosen the better part. Okay? She fellowshiped with the Lord. And just take that then to John chapter 11. What happens when Lazarus dies? And watch the response of those sisters at the Lord's delay. I think you will discover that with the one, there's a lot more anxiety than with the other. There's a quiet assurance with one, with Mary, with Martha. She's more worked up. And I wonder, this is my sanctified speculation... I wonder if it wasn't directly related to their relationship with the Lord, how much time they spent with the Lord previously. And so, I depend on the Lord. I allow the Lord to do His work through me, and we fellowship together, and He prepares me for what may be coming down the road. Now notice the last bullet under Roman numeral 2 here. The Spirit's joy is the antidote to the flesh's response of despair, depression, and hopelessness. Again, the Lord says, I don't want you to sorrow like those who have no hope. I would just insert a caution here. Even some of the Christian literature that's being written to help believers deal with grief they expect that there's going to be despair and depression. But I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see where despair and depression sweep into a heart that's full of joy and peace. Despair is hopelessness. And hopelessness can't exist next to hope and faith. All right? We have been born again unto a living confidence based on the resurrection of Jesus. So again, I would reiterate the point that I made before, but here it's in print. The believer loses nothing that the resurrection will not correct. Have you lost a loved one recently? Question, will the resurrection... Or has the resurrection already corrected that? Yes or no? Yes. Jesus said to his disciples, He that liveth and believeth in me will never die. You may have been next to that bedside. You may have watched the instrument show that there's no heart rate anymore. Uh, 
You, you may have watched somebody gasping to try to breathe, okay? But if they knew the Lord as soon as the body quit, they stepped right into the presence of Jesus. Why? Because He lives, we too shall live with Him. And they live. Now, do we grieve because of that temporary separation? Yes. I, I tell people, I miss my dad every day. But I don't sorrow over that. I'm going to get to see him again soon. He's alive. And he's better off than he's ever been. All right. So the believer loses nothing that the resurrection will not correct. You say, well, what if I have a loved one who dies without Christ? How does the resurrection correct that? Well, let me help you with that, all right? You will be resurrected to be in a body like Jesus' glorified body, but you will also have a perfect perspective on life. And your love for Jesus will be so complete and so perfect that in your heart there won't be sorrow, there will be a settledness. Jesus did the right thing. So if my loved one is not here, that's on them, that's not on Jesus. And that love shed abroad in our hearts in a perfect way in heaven is going to wipe away tears from our eyes. And we're going to have a divine perspective on that. It's going to make it all right. What about our failures here? What about the regrets? We should have done this. We shouldn't have done that. Once again, in Christ, it's all settled. Your sin was washed away at the cross. And as, as the evangelist reminded us recently, you're going to walk into heaven with your chin up because you're clothed in His righteousness. It never was about yours. And we'll rejoice together. Now let's close with this uh, tonight. Notice our last point here. Jesus knows grief. Testing brings about His good. Jesus knows grief and testing brings about His good. Yes, Jesus was God in flesh, but he was all flesh and all God. And so Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 help us. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, tested, temptation to sin, yes, tested, as far as the, the human emotions and the griefs and the things we experience, he was tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, it's talking about prayer there, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There should not be a hesitancy in our step to go before the throne of grace with our grief. God, this is just silly. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm sorry. Stop! 
your high priest understands every emotion you're struggling with because he had it too. He knows. He wept. His heart was broken by those who sorrowed and grieved. That's your Lord. And so he is not only sympathetic, but now in the grief that you experience, he has a wonderful plan. He's at work. Remember that the crises of life are permitted by God. Again, with Job, this was Satan's design. Permitted, but sometimes designed by God to help put the components of life back into their proper perspective. God's glory is always the goal. He will be glorified. And through his glory, he will also bring us exceeding joy. That's what he wants to do. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Now let me just stop. I mentioned at the beginning of this message a couple in a, in a terrible auto accident. Oh, I didn't mention that the van caught fire. The men who stopped to help the family escape were using snow to put out the fire. I'd call that a fiery trial. Oh, by the way, did I mention that in the Bible, God does something for us. He takes three Hebrew princes and he puts them, not just a fiery trial, he, he allows them to end up in a fiery furnace. <laughs> and it's a hot one. In fact, it's so hot, young people, that the guards who are throwing, the mighty men throwing these Hebrew princes in there, they self-combust. They get too close and poof, they're on fire. That's how hot it was. And they end up in there, and they land, and it's not so hot in here. In fact, we're looking at each other. We're having a conversation. Our clothes are not on fire. Oops, there go the ropes. They burn away. And, oh, look, we've got company. <laughs> the Son of God, Jesus, just joined us here. All right, let's go back to the text. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. God, why me? No, no. Not something unique to you, verse 13, but rejoice. And as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed... You need to circle his glory and Christ's sufferings. He suffered for you and he's going to allow you to suffer for him. But in that suffering, he's going to work through you to make you like him. That's the whole point. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding what? 
joy. Who's ready for heaven? Well, those who experience testing here. I don't like it. I wish there was another way. But oh, by the way, Jesus didn't like it. He said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, what's best? Not my will, say it with me, but thine be done. Wow. Did he grieve? Yeah. He sweated drops of blood. But he rested his soul in the Father. What an example for you and I. He fulfilled the Father's will, even though it was horrific as far as, as the, the, the physical strain. We can't even imagine. But, but he did that for the joy that was set before him. Oh, think of the joy that is set before us. If we'll just cling to the Lord in those times, Cast our care on him, our grief. He cares for us and let him guide us to do his perfect plan. Now on the other side, there will be some residual effects, but they're positive. And when you're going through grief, let me just encourage you, think of the worst loss that you've suffered and then consider these questions for the glory of God. Some of you can immediately think about some loss, some difficulty that you went through. But, but answer these questions and, and see if you can't see the fingerprints of God in what you've gone through. For instance, number one, can you think of any good that came out of it? Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God them that are called according to his purpose. And what's the good? The next verse, because he's making us into the image of Christ. Can you think of any good that came out of it? Let me share just some good that came out of the greatest loss that I've experienced with my dad's home going. It was an afternoon over in Portsmouth at a cemetery. Sandra Kelly's mother was being laid to rest. I am standing next to the casket. I've got my hand on the casket, and I'm reading out of the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. We finish that graveside service, head back to the church. There's going to be a, uh, a meal provided for the family. I walk into our fellowship hall. I had a cell phone that died, which was part of God's plan. Renee walks into the fellowship hall, and she says, Honey, where's your phone? I said, Well, the battery died. She said, Well, I've got messages, phone messages, because, that I couldn't take from your mom and your sister. And immediately, and I think the Holy Spirit prepare, prepares us, doesn't he, some of these things? thought, this isn't good. Well, when I was, and we, we compared the times, when I was standing next to that casket with my hand on it, reading from the resurrection chapter, it was at that very moment that my dad left this earth and went to heaven. Any good come out of that? I've shared that at gravesites. 
that God is so in control of the home going of His saints and He works it in miraculous ways that, that looking back, I was reading the very truths that are meant to encourage us at a time of death and I was reading from that chapter when God promoted my dad. Can you think of any good that came out of it? Number two, did it draw you closer to God or cause you to look up? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Number three, have you seen answers to prayer because of it? I'm not going to pick on Bill Barker tonight, but he just went through a trial, the loss of a job. Years. How many years were you with that company? 15 years. Have you seen any answers to prayer because of it, Bill? See? Number four, have you been able to help others because of what God allowed you to experience? And Paul talks about this. You're able to comfort others with the same comfort whereof you have been comforted of God. We've had two cancer scares with our kids. And I'll never forget with the first one, being in a children's hospital, thinking one of our girls had leukemia. Two pastors walking in. Had no idea that they were coming. Two friends, one's a cancer survivor. The other one, his son is a cancer survivor from a brain tumor. We didn't know what we were dealing with, but those two men walking through that door, I needed that help at that time. Have you been able to help others because of what God allowed you to experience? And then finally, do you have more compassion for others? Has this made you a better comforter? And the answer surely is yes. This church is like any other church that I've been privileged to be a part of. By the level of care that I've witnessed here, saints taking care of other saints. But part of the reason for that Besides good leadership over the years, and I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about our previous pastor and his wife. But part of it also was the grief and the trials that you have been through that have enabled you to help others in their grief and their trials. It's true. And so again, think of the worst loss that you've suffered and consider what God has done for his glory, and then don't forget it. Because God is not only going to see you through it, he's going to equip you to be able to help others through the trials that they experience. Psalm 30 and verse 5 tells us this, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. Our trials are but for a season. 
But folks, there is coming a great day, a great morning. A trump's going to sound. And it's going to be morning somewhere. And we're going to be caught away. And he that hath begun a good work in us, who has been continuing to do that work using grief, is going to have us ready to stand before him and hear well done. And so, draw close to him. Fellowship with him. And then, let him hold your hand as you walk through these valleys, these trials. God is faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight that we can go to your word and we can find grace to help in time of need. And we can come before your throne and find grace to help in time of need. And certainly, this message tonight has not been exhaustive because... Your word is so full of wonderful help. It's a mind that has no limit. Lord, a well will never get to the bottom of it when it comes to the help that we have for our grief and our sorrow. And Lord, when we go to our knees and we come before your throne, Lord, you... Surround us with your love and you dump on us all the grace and the help that we could ever need. Now, Lord, help this message to draw us closer to yourself. Use it to comfort our hearts, Lord, please. And prepare us for whatever the future yet holds. You have been faithful. You are unchanging. And, Lord, we can trust you for our tomorrows. Lift our hearts to you. Keep our eyes on you, we pray in Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.